Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is filmmaker Kazik Redwanski, who writes and directs things like Princess Margaret Boulevard, Out in That Deep Blue Sea, Cutaway, and the feature film Tower, with producer Dan Montgomery under their shingle, Medium Density Fiberboard Films. Kaz's new feature, How Heavy This Hammer, opens in Toronto and Vancouver this Friday, August 12th, which gave us the excuse to sit down in the studio. Kaz picks Strozek, Werner Herzog's 1977 drama starring Bruno S. as a young man named Bruno Strozek, who, upon his release from an undefined institution, sets out on a path that will take him from Germany to America, exchanging the grey misery of Berlin for the vast white potential of Wisconsin and North Carolina. He buys into the American dream and pays dearly for it, because this is a Werner Herzog film. With a series of bizarre, unexpected images contrasting with a deep streak of humanity throughout, it's a verite drama that feels like a documentary featuring one of the most distinctive and original actors ever to step in front of a camera. It makes sense, even when it doesn't make sense. And it has the dancing chicken in it. This is someone else's movie. To me, it's it's, it's my favorite Herzog, without a doubt. Um, So, I I mean, I think at the same time, Herzog's a big... Filmmaker that I, you know, I love, and just after watching all of his stuff, I think this one really hits the core of what I what I love about his work. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly it's Herzog's most iconic film, I think, just because of the chicken and because of the way that that sort of yeah maybe him, yeah in a way. I would say Aguri probably is his most iconic yeah. one, right? And I think of almost Burden of Dreams even right. more so, right? Yeah, because it's about Fitzcarraldo but he's the figure right yeah Fitzcarraldo as well so yeah. there are so but there are so many things but then now as he sort of and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the uh, the Grizzly Man episode with Trevor oh somebody picked a hair yeah yeah Trevor Juris um he has sort of become this beloved cultural signifier where you know he oh, can yeah. turn up in Parks and Recreation or he can be in a mockumentary or he can be a, yeah. a, a character that Paul F. Yeah. Tompkins creates yeah and you go back to the earlier stuff and it's so angry and sad and, and it's not adorable in the slightest. There's no sense of a wink to the audience. And Strozek is, yeah, I mean, it's it's weirdly optimistic on some yeah. levels, but it's also the story of the complete destruction. Like America eats this guy. Yeah. And it's not even America that does it. He sort of allows it to happen. I think that's another thing I really like about it. Yeah, as sad as it is, it's just so uh, wonderful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, as dark, you couldn't get darker. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think of it as a miserable f- film. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just a downward trajectory, I suppose, that makes me. Yeah, yeah, back. yeah. But it's just filled with so much uh, spontaneity and just sort of, you know, moments that just come out. It's just so filled with life at times, and just, uh, yeah, just, um, yeah, just the scenarios and. Um, stuff at the, the truck stop and all the characters are just so you can tell that they're they're sort of plucked from real life or from such unique places that it, it just energizes the film yeah. Um, yeah he cast I mean famously cast most roles with non-professionals and had a couple of actors in there to sort of steer but for the most part there's people yeah and if you want to drop names feel free because I just double checked that we got them right but uh, Eva, yeah, Eva Eva Mattis, Mattis, was, yeah he was, a, I think she, was she 
in a relationship with Herzog at some point? Uh, or were they I assume, married? I just assume yeah. so with all these. <laughs> yeah. The German new wave thing. That yeah, happened. but yeah. She, uh, but she was in Petra von Kant. Yeah, she was in exactly. Yeah, that she's she's a major actress um, at, in that period, from what I understand. Yeah, um, and Clemens Scheitz, who's in a bunch, yeah. bunch of his films. Yeah. And then there are people. There are just sort yeah. of character actors surrounding themselves, sort of steering them. But for the most part, you just have this weird naturalistic performance where people are a little self-conscious. Uh, Bruno, as well, seems to sort of be thinking about his position in the frame a lot. Oh, because yeah. he's always looking, he's glancing. But it creates this amazing character of someone who is wondering what people think of him all the time. I mean, if you remove the idea that this guy is just checking to see if he's in frame or if he's, yeah. on, if he's on his mark, it becomes this weird, disconnected man who is unmoored in his own world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, just the subtleties that he captures. Just his eyes. Yeah, his eyes are amazing. And, you know, how, yeah, often he's, he's doing things he's probably not supposed to do. Like, he'll just duck out of frame or yeah. sort of do something weird. Um, and it's just his way of speaking. Yeah. He'll just do these, like, just, it's um, just amazing how, um, I mean, it's, you so rarely see that in films. And, I mean, I think, Herzog wrote this film for for Bruno. That yeah, supposedly it was an apology to him. Yeah, he, that he was meant to be in uh, Wojciech, the Yeah, and he, and then he, at the last minute he decided he went with Kinski instead. Yeah, and so he wrote it in four days for him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just so he's so much at the center of the film. It's so much just t- tailored to him and constantly. But yeah, at the same time. But he's this element there's, that can't there's, be contained. There's right? depth, so much depth to it too. It's not just reacting to it. It's like the scenes where he's getting beaten up. I mean, you kind of realize, I mean, I, I sort of realized, I rewatched it recently, and you sort of realized he was beaten like this, bef- like, by his mother, yeah. you know, when, before he was, uh, and then he was institutionalized. So it actually mirrors his life in such a, a deep way. And then, I mean, his performance is incredible at times. Like, the scene where he breaks up with Eva, or that you sort of realize they're not a couple anymore, and yeah. he's just like, this... This is what loneliness is. I am a lonely man, and just like it, you can. It's something that I think would. It's such an unusual performance that it'd be so hard to come to that point using other methods. You know, it's just uh, really just. Yeah, have to almost just point the camera and hope it happens. I I regret the one time I talked to Herzog. We only had twelve minutes, and we talked about Bad Lieutenant mostly, but. I just oh, there's so many questions I can ask him about the other thirty movies, you know, like all the other stuff. And this yeah. is one of those films that is, weirdly enough, the the sequel or the follow the companion piece, I guess, to an, the Enigma of Caspar Hauser. But it is even more of an enigma itself because it feels like that kind of alchemy you hear about all the time. Where oh yeah, this happened, but we couldn't control it; it just happened. Yeah. Or I can't really explain it, but we just have to do this. Yeah. Uh, to the point where like the last. 10 minutes of the film and we'll get we'll get back to the first 80 or so but the last 10 minutes of the film is almost proudly non-narrative it's just things happening and they do it culminates and it feels I mean there's a plot that is being carried out and or even the last 20 minutes just starting from him driving off in the car from the garage it just stops being a character study and becomes this weird despairing essay film yeah sort of and I don't know if that's because by that point in the film um Bruno is so completely gone into his misery and he's just trying to, you know, the, the, the classic 
film trope of trying to escape yourself, which you can never do, yeah. because the camera shows us that you know you're still you, and we're following you, and that's not going to change. But there is a, a sense that that he's almost trying to flee the movie at one or two points towards the end, where if he can just get away from everything, then it might be okay. Yeah. Or it's this: the plane is going into its power dive, and this is the end coming right at us, and we can't do anything to stop it. I've seen the film, I think, three times now, like sitting through it all the way through, and, and just I don't know which I don't know which ending I prefer. It's this really mesmerizing thing that the movie gets you to this place about 85 minutes in where you're just like, yeah, okay, well, I, I don't know that I'm despairing for you, but I also don't know that there's any other way this can end. Yeah. We've just been watching this guy on this trajectory all the time. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. The, I, Sorry, that was just me forcing my yeah. interpretation. No, no, I know, and I, 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 I guess I, I agree with it, um, that I, I don't, I don't know if it's... You know, even when he, I mean, we sort of assume he shoots himself at the end, but they don't actually show it or, right. or prove it. I mean, it maybe maybe he doesn't. But yeah. I, on the commentary track, Herzog says, you know, maybe he fires into the forest. And yeah. Says, Come on. So, I mean, it's somewhat open, but at the same time, yeah, it's um, this desire to flee, you know, to, that driving sequence also seems like a very Herzogian moment, just catharsis through travel. Right. Um, and weirdly prefiguring Jarmusch's same obsession with that framing the way that right. cars are alone in the shot as yeah. opposed to in traffic and then um and then the the, the car driving in a circle mm. the chickens the dancing uh, chicken and the, and then the um the chairlift yeah so it's this sort of it's the desire to escape and then uh but being caught in this this loop mm-hmm. and um, is this really me is it yeah on the back of the chairlift yeah <laughs> Yeah. Which is amazing. And he's, again, on the commentary here, it's like says that he waited half an hour for the lift to come back around. So, they so he could get that. Place him in that yeah. chair. Yeah, it's a great commentary. Yeah, I, I listened to it again myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I would recommend to anyone listening to this that just go for it. Watch the movie, but then don't but, play the commentary, even ironically, until you've seen the film. But uh, Herzog and Norman Hill recorded a bunch of commentaries for a number of his movies back for the first wave of Anchor Bay DVDs, and they're, they're all tremendous because... They're recorded later in life, yeah. and he has that sense of who he, who he is and who he's perceived to be, and he still just absolutely refuses to bend on the interpretations. He's going to tell you what he made these movies about. And there's a couple with Crispin Glover, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which are also good. Yeah. More life. Uh, unpredictable life. But the effect of, of, of Strozek is to spend, what, like an hour in Germany and then an hour or a little less in America and be completely at sea in both because that's how the character is presented. He's been in, he's been in prison or an institution. It's vague about where yeah. he's been, uh, but he's being released and being told not to drink again. And and the first thing he does is go to a bar. <laughs> and, you know, you can say that there are inciting incidents in, in classic screenplay structures, but this is almost the comic version of that, except that it's so incredibly tragic. He's given, in the first seven minutes of the movie, he's given a, a, a roadmap to a happy, or at least a contented life, and just goes right off script immediately, and consciously or not, just puts himself on that, on that trajectory. Yeah. But it's also weirdly funny when it happens, because... You know, it's like it's like any reversal. You've spent that much time being told to expect that this is going to happen. Oh, there'll be challenges. He won't drink. You know, we're gonna we'll see all the cliched scenes where someone holds the drink in their hand and refuses. Nope, straight in. Just goes right to the bar. 
Yeah. That's this kind of movie. Yeah. It's, um... The best thing, I mean, I heard heard Sox say, I think kind of captures it for me, is that it's it's a eulogy. It's what the film is. I mean, it's eulogy for America, but then also it kind of feels like that for, for the character as well. That, you know, this, this downward spiral, but it's not criticizing at all. It's just sort of, yeah, um, I don't know. You're on, you're on this path, like it's inevitable, but um, but it's still kind of beautiful as you as you watch it. Yeah. And um, so yeah, just how I mean, you see him get thrown around. I mean, as, as horrible as it is, or I mean, it's just so wonderful the scenes of him with the accordion in the alleyway. I think that's how how they met. Or yeah, he met him. Or he street, was in a documentary. He was in a documentary as a street performer. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems for me too. Like one of Herzog's most like. Um, connected to reality sort of film just the way he captures Berlin is so kind of fascinating I don't know if there's that really happens in any of his other films where you really get a sense of a place like just sort of day to day existence yeah but just in just the types of characters you would find like those those pimps and mm. uh, and, and hanging out in bars and um, yeah it's um, yeah it's great <laughs> well what you said about the elegy for America hits because what occurred to me this time is realizing that there's a complete structure in place for the inevitable failure yeah. of the motor of the of the the mortgage and the the television and all the stuff that they buy on yeah. the installment plan. There's no hostility or anger. People just show up and say, "Well, you didn't pay, so we take them away," and then it just cuts mercilessly right to the auction. Everybody's really friendly. Everybody's very good natured. It just yeah, this happens all the time is what that movie is telling me, that this is the state of things in America in the 70s in yeah. Wisconsin. And it's just such a poetic way of telling it. I mean, even that they literally take his house away, that they leave him standing there, that yeah. his, his house is taken from him in such a literal way. And then the, um, the uh, auctioneer, that it's almost like the poetry of it, you know, just yeah. this, this foreign language. Yeah, it just and that's what's great about too is that there's so much foreign. I mean, um, like the Air Scheitz guy just trying to um, talk to people. He's just speaking German, and these you know random people from Wisconsin that yeah. are acting in the film and just have no idea what he's saying. It's yeah, there's so, the two ranchers yeah. or hunters who he comes up to and tries to measure their magnetism. Yeah, animal magnetism. Yeah, um, and I I have no idea how much preparation they had. Um, Herzog speaks of just using people for one take and then letting them go. Yeah. Like in the, in the truck stop scenes, apparently. Yeah. Um, and everyone's just sort of pleasantly bewildered. Yeah. That people have literally have just arrived in that truck stop and just make, make an announcement and, and film it. Don't sign any releases or anything like that. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of a pure way to make movies. Yeah. But also a, an increasingly impossible one, I think, now. With, you know, like people would sue you over capturing the back of your head in a crowd shot or something. Well, I don't want to be too specific about how I've made films, <laughs> but I would say it's not. It sometimes isn't too far from that. that uh, or, or Matt Johnson, you know? Like, yeah. uh, I think yes, Matt like Johnson's a, actually actively <laughs> committing fraud. Yeah, NASA, right? So, yeah, no, I, I don't think too much has changed in some ways, you know? Um, you just have to be willing to do it. Yes, yeah. To want those moments. So what was your first experience of Strzok? When did you first see it? Um, I have a very vivid memory of seeing it at the, the Cinematheque, the old Cinematheque, mm-hmm. uh, the AGO, and seeing it on 35. I mean, it was, I had seen a lot of Herzog films before on VHS. I used to work at a, a video store in the Danforth, and I, I went through all the ones that were available at the time. But yeah, watching him on 35 was such a, 
um, I mean, especially that that shot of, of the the premature baby on, on the big screen. It's yeah. just so overwhelming. Just yeah, the mixture of how tender it is, but also just how um, how harsh it is, and then and seeing something so small and fragile on such a big screen. Yeah. So that's what sticks with me the most. I saw that Aguri and a, a couple other ones, but yeah, seeing Herzog on thirty five. Every once in a while, a director will do that, where you see their work for the first time in a theater, and you totally understand uh, why it's important to see movies on 35 in yeah. theaters. The but texture just does not come across on yeah. VHS. I mean, There's just such see. a strength to his images, too. Like, they really are... They, they, they hit you in the stomach. Like They're, they're just completely overwhelming um, in a way that I can't, you know, really compare it. Um, just there's something so direct about his stuff, something so, you know, uh, where... I don't know the right word to say it, but just how like how um, this film is b- built around so many of those moments where there's something that haunted Herzog, and it's just, this is a hauntingly beautiful thing, and I'm gonna s- stick it in the movie, right. you know, like the chickens or the baby or or s- so much of it. Um, the, so something about the strength of his images, but yeah, that's how I, how I came to Herzog. I mean, he was huge for me for a long period of time. I mean, he still is, but I definitely went through a very deep <laughs> Herzog phase where I read. Herzog and Herzog, and uh, I tracked down a copy of um, of Walking in Ice. Um, so yeah, I mean, in so many ways, Herzog is, uh, is, you know, just his approach to cinema and his um, how passionate he is about it, but at the same time, how unromantic it is, how, how practical. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah. So really big for me, I would say, when I was doing my undergrad. Yeah. He called that his Bavarian perspective which is something he's very precise about. That came up a lot during the oh, yeah. attendant interview, yeah, that he brings the Bavarian perspective to whatever it is he does. And I think in, in Strozek, it, yeah, he's seeing Germany from a slight remove, and the same way, I mean, he looks at everything, I think, just generally from a slight remove. But, yeah. but in Strozek, yeah, the images hit harder because they are un unvarnished unflinching I was trying yeah. to come up with the there's, right there's word something well. I always like about um, a European eye um, on America mm. um, it's never glossy never yeah and it's, there's a foreignness to it and that's what's great about this film is there's a constant sort of foreignness of foreign people in a foreign land um, and it, everything is new to them um, mm. and, and, it, and it's, it's kind of but beautiful too just sort of a certain way of seeing America that you're not used to seeing um, that I mean yeah, another film I was really into. I mean, I still like a lot is, is Gummo. Um, okay. And um, having uh, John Escoffier, you know, Leo's Cracks, as cinematographer, filming, you know, the Deep South, uh, that collision, you know, it's something I've, uh, I've always really liked. Yeah, I always think about the way, um, you know, I think about Paris, Texas, and the way that yeah, that isn't quite what you expect it to be. I mean, it's just as in love with neon and billboards and everything, but. It's on an angle. It's from a just a slight. I think it's because I, I mean I wonder if it's because European filmmakers simply haven't trained on American films the way American filmmakers do. Where you know you just like oh that's New York. That's I've yeah. seen that. I know that. And you're framing it in the perspective of the shot that you already know. You know like people going down to Tribeca to recreate the angle on the Ghostbusters firehouse and all that. Right, right. But here you have people who have seen it and seen it only as an exotic as an exoticized image and, and they've never actually encountered it until they're they're shooting their own movies yeah so they just don't duplicate yeah and there's a sort of I guess with, with Strasek and and I guess Gummo too there's like a 
a willingness to show the the underbelly mm-hmm. of uh, of it. Um, you know, yeah. like those mechanics in the garage or or, or the, the truckers at the station. Yeah, um, I think most most other filmmakers. I mean, even European ones would probably have cut out the uh, the kind of weird urban cowboy dialogue about jumping on either a bull or a waitress I'm not sure which it right. is but yeah. <laughs> just, that just goes on and on and on and it's and you get it you get the it's braggadocio and it's this yeah. posturing thing that Bruno is incapable of doing he just isn't able to front even a little bit um, yeah. to the point where he can't be in like the reason he isn't part of a couple is because he's incapable of functioning on that level you, you have to sort of play act a relationship before it's a real relationship that's what dating is I think, and he's just—he's at sea. He can't function, so he just has to sit and listen to this dialogue, which is also a weird kind of performance, and still have no like. There's a lesson in there, maybe if he listens, but he—he he just can't learn it. This is the mechanic. Yeah, towards towards yeah. the end. Oh right, yeah, yeah. He. Um, yeah, there's sort of just a weird poetry too, to just the way that guy speaks, and mm. just how how vulgar it is is kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. And again, 40 years ago, it would have been genuinely shocking, Yeah, I suspect, oh, and, and to an American audience yeah. to, to hear that movie. And even the, the sort of, you know, even now that we're steeped in independent films about disintegrating characters, and there's a new one every two weeks, and they all sort of, they all borrow very heavily from these templates... In 1976, I would have loved to see this with an audience that, I mean, even like a Lincoln Center art yeah. audience, how would they have handled it? What would they have thought? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I have, I have no way of, of knowing, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always heard that his films were better received outside of Germany than, um, than back home. So, yeah. I wonder where, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where it premiered or... Um. If it was at a festival, or if it... Oh, yeah, I don't know. If it was at Venice or something. Yeah. I would assume. It would have been too soon for Toronto. In 76, I think, was the, just yeah. the first one. I actually have a poster of it. Oh, from. Yeah. Um, but it might be from a retrospective, but yeah, it's a BFI release uh, of it. So, yeah, I feel like it, you know... He does sort of mention it a bit on the audio commentary that, you know, American audience seemed to like it, um, despite it... I mean, I think a lot of critics read it as a, a criticism of the U.S. or a damning of it. But uh, yeah, it's which it is. But it's yeah, it's more like a, a sad, sad anthem. Or there's something there's there's something um, loving about it, despite it showing so eagerly being attracted to flaws or ugly things. Um, it's still kind of yeah, wonderful. And I think people there's just something so sincere about Bruno. There's something just that's almost his downfall is is, is being naive, you know, yeah. too trusting and uh, yeah, just hoping for something good to happen, but yeah. not making it happen himself. I think that's part of it. That's yeah. That's the that's the reversal of him going to the bar. Is that there's just you you could get out of this if you really wanted to, yeah. or if you tried, but you just follow your pattern and he acquiesces. He goes along with everything. He goes to America because it's somebody else's idea and he yeah kind of gets into the possibility of a relationship even though it really isn't one because right, it seems like something you I mean, should do I mean the, the trip was funded on her being a prostitute yeah. I mean it seems from the outset that means she's kind to him and she uh, but but yeah. there's a yeah 
<laughs> it's, it seems inevitable that it's uh, that she uh, maybe. Well, I don't think she ever really stops, right? Like she's still on the job, yeah, all the way through. And but yeah, I guess it, it's not even really about that. It's it's her, and when they break up, it's not because she's being unfaithful. It's because she doesn't want to sleep in the same bed. She wants a room of her own. She doesn't want to be with him. She right. wants to. So it's. Um, and we can sort of understand where she's coming from too. Like that's that's what's so yeah. strange and sad about the whole relationship, about both rela- the major relationships in the film, is that his relationship to her is not nearly as important yeah. to her as it is to him. And for her, it's just a thing that's happening. It's sort of... I mean, I don't think they ever sleep together. I don't think we're supposed to believe that they Yeah, you're right. Did. Yeah. He's just... He's her means of escape initially, yeah. which is good. And I don't think she leads him on. I think he just assumes that's what's going to happen next because he doesn't really plan. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the entire American dream falls apart on them. Just everything collapses. They lose he, he loses her, he loses the house, he loses the car basically stops working. Everything yeah, falls apart at once. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, it's not cruel. Like it's not personal. This yeah. is just how it goes. Yeah. It's not damning. It's not, you know, he did this wrong or this is, you know, there's no, yeah, structure in that, in that sense. It just kind of falls apart. Mm. Yeah. But there is that, yeah, then, then you have the premature baby. You have the, the series of images of life fighting so hard yeah. against insurmountable odds. Yeah. I mean, well, the baby probably comes out better than he does in the end. Yeah. But uh, the idea that you know, look how hard it grabs, look how yeah, hard it clings. That's, that's it, everyone. The sort of reflex that you can support your own weight. Mm-hmm. You know, the baby's hanging off of his fingers. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, the, uh, this is the, the weird contradiction of the movie is that it opens with that image or it's fairly close to the beginning and then it gives us the chicken at the end and the, and the, the rabbit and the, all of yeah. these animals just doing things that they're not even conscious of in the same way they're just programmed to do it and because that's that's another big metaphor that's for, for yeah. Slugger, is the chicken metaphor yeah of if you stare a chicken in the eye yes. you know, you'll understand what complete stupidity is yes, or... the, un- <laughs> the unblinking blackness yeah. of the abyss yeah yeah <laughs> which is amazing because i don't know that he thinks we're any better yeah. Certainly, instru- I mean, he says this in the. In the- but, yeah, I think I, I don't know if he would connect the two. I mean, I, I, there is a tendency of animals to to represent humans or something, but I, th- I feel yeah. like that's for him. That's just nature. That's just you know a wild animal. You know, uh, that's almost the same as a, the truck driving in a circle. Right. It's just doing that because somebody set it in motion. Yeah, that it's you know. Yeah. yeah. And he he says this in the commentary. He said that he knew that the dancing chicken was an incredible metaphor. He just didn't know what it was. Yeah. What what it represented, and. Yeah. I think I think that in Struzik we're supposed to take away the idea that everyone is capable of falling into that same circle. Like if you don't consciously move out of it, this is what happens. You don't go anywhere. You drive a lot, but you end up in going in a circle. You go halfway across the world and you end up alone with yourself. Nothing changes. It just it's colder. I think yeah um, yeah and, he could have gone anywhere I don't think it's that yeah he went to the United States yeah. he could have gone to Bavaria 
from Berlin. Right. Yeah. The same, and likely the same thing would have happened. Yeah. He would have been unhappy and isolated because he wasn't given the... Well, he was given the opportunity, but he wasn't given the exposures. The, 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 the tragedy of Bruno S. is that he was denied a childhood. He was yeah. abused and institutionalized. and Yeah, there's so many things you can wonder well, you know, why he's the way he is. But yeah, yeah, I find myself not thinking about that so much when I watch it. I just, yeah. you know, there's some, there's, there's just this balance he achieves of it being, uh, of just the experience of it is, uh, is haunting enough, you know? That, that, that just so many elements are just so mysterious that, uh, and then, you know, what, what sticks with you is, yeah, the shot of the baby or, or Bruno's innocence or it's, yeah, something more just mysterious about about um, humans, I guess, or, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, those sort of uh, experiences. So, yeah, I found myself not really wondering too much about why, why did this happen to, to Bruno. Okay. It just seems so obvious that he's an innocent person that's just getting thrown around by life. Um, that, uh, I mean, I guess he, it's so clear that, um, you know, his prison release and, and all of that, that it's, you know... I'm sure it's better now than it was back then. That there's there's sort of elements of society or a safety net or a way to to help people when they're they're being released from institutions. Or, I mean, there's so many things that uh, you know, of him just being you know feeling like he has to escape Germany because pimps are breaking into his apartment and throwing them around on a piano. Yeah. Um, but but that's like a perfect moral premise as well, right? I mean, we've got. Oh, and that's this. his piano too. Apparently, that's what he did um, with his money from. Um, Casper Hauser, he bought the piano. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Which is amazing. That was his actual apartment, and it was okay. always a mess. Um, that he um, he would just collect objects and wouldn't know what to do with them. Yeah. God. Well, is that building himself an identity, or is it just preferring things to people? I guess so. Um, There's so much. Yeah, it's such a strange story that you just want explanations for everything yeah and same with the film I suppose in, in the end of course there aren't any yeah I guess I mean I guess you, you want that maybe sometimes with with characters for them to represent something that you can relate to mm-hmm. but he's just so unique you know someone that spent you know, I don't know how many years he was in locked up I think 20 21 years. 22 so yeah you're gonna have a different relationship with objects and people and mm-hmm. so at a certain point it can't represent everyone you know it's so yeah but at the same time, it's um, it's hard not to. Um, well, just yeah, the just natural sort of, empathy of yeah, cinema. Exactly. Right? And, and the film is him, I think. That the film is just so much just orbiting him, and um, that it's uh, you know him in Germany than him in the U.S. Yeah. And, uh, almost deconstructing those environments through him. While well, he remains. Mostly unchanged, just getting yeah, angry. That's, that's yeah, he remains mostly unchanged. I mean, he flees Germany, I mean, and then when he's in the U.S., there's nowhere to go at the end. Mm-hmm. He can't flee back. Urshites has been arrested, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Eva, where did she go? To Vancouver, they say? She's, yeah, setting up, <laughs> setting up for a better life. More fun in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin, I mean... Yeah, it's hard. It was horrifyingly cold, and yeah. there are shots where even the extras are suffering, and these are people who live there. It's just really, it felt cold. It, it's, it's, you know, yeah. watching it in the middle of July, and it's still, a chill goes through you, just watching those images. 
Yeah. And there's, the, there's some great um, the hostility of the environment. You just feel it. Yeah. But Berlin comes off pretty hostile as well. Yeah. Berlin does come off much better. So you've said that this fits like in your Herzog canon. This is oh yeah, right up there. I think so. Is there? I was I was trying to think of an analog of a, of a maybe a present day film that kind of represents this, and I really I couldn't. I I mean, your films are about people who are isolated. Yeah. And you work with non-professionals, and there are elements of it. But I was trying to come up with any other, like a direct. You can't point to a movie and say, "Oh, this is like Strozak." They're really, yeah, it is. It, just, it, it does stand alone in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we can think of one or two. <laughs> but there's a movie I really like called Framland. Have you seen Framland? Yeah, yeah, it's not Framland. That was part of the uh, the Mumblecore package that played in the Blur a few years back. Yeah, and films we like imported it. I think it was there with uh, Nights and Weekends, it might, and it might it might have been. Or right around that time. Anyway, yeah, around that time, that, that summer. Yeah, I remember that. I remember meeting uh, the director. I think it would have been 2008. I think so, yeah. I remember this time I was working on Princess Margaret uh, Boulevard. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, back to back to Bruno S. and Herzog. Yeah, no, it's hard to think of... Um, you know, I, I mean, I can see people that are influenced by it. But again, just... It, that's... A, what, I mean, it's hard to find a figure like Bruno S. that, you know, has that backstory and then it's so deeply incorporated into the film. I mean, even just recently we played Cresha. I mean, um, but different, you know, you don't quite go on the same journey, but um, from what I understand of that film, it's his, his aunt and, and using those, those sort of emotions. Right. But so again... It's uh, simply a case of a similarity rather than continuity. Yeah. It's, to be honest, I don't know the whole story. I mean, I wish I... I I don't really want to talk about it too much at length, but yeah, it definitely. Um, yeah, I think I think what's clear about Strasek is very few film, films have gone to that level of just sort of having such a production and such an adventure with a character like that. That yeah, it really takes a, a figure like Herzog to be able to pull that off. You, I mean, you really break it down. You realize what a, like a, a towering achievement it is. Yeah. Um, it's it's not. Anything that you can... I mean, you can easily explain it. Yeah. Man gets out of prison, does these things. But it doesn't capture... Like, that doesn't capture the tone, or it doesn't capture the attitude, or the or the empathy, or yeah. even the even the humor. Like, it just... You can, you can boil any movie down to two sentences, and inevitably, invariably, you're doing a disservice to the film. But with Strozak, you need paragraphs. Yeah. Just to explain the mood, and the tone, and the use of music, and the use of atmosphere and everything it is yeah it's a it's a singular experience definitely and i fear for the person who tries to repeat it or remake it or, or riff on it yeah you can't i mean um but yeah it's just about you know you get i think there's lessons that can be taken from it um i mean i definitely am influenced by it uh, yeah i wouldn't hope to replicate it but um but yeah i think um there's just so much that, you know, yeah, it's priceless about it. I think that's what, I mean, what I take from it is that it's, there's things you can't, you can't copy. That's what's great about it is, is you can't copy it and you can't buy it. You know, there's no actor you could pay to, to be Bruno S. Right. Um, there's, and then there's, yeah, it would be, and it would be so foolish to, to remake it. Um, 
so you can only take good lessons from it I think yeah <laughs> that's I mean how I feel about a lot of my favorite filmmakers it's um, and you know and you and it's it's from such a, a, a distance too that uh, we know I mean there's always that desire to feel like we understand what what made that film great you know and I mean, this film offers a lot of that. I mean, Herzog has, has said a lot about it, about the Bruno S.'s backstory and things like that. But, I mean, there's things, yeah, you can never know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by the anecdote that supposedly uh, Bruno would prepare for scenes by screaming for an hour or two, which is... <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing that I would encourage in performers, but... <laughs> it, Apparently, it helped him compose himself. It would just get out all the nervousness wow. and the discomfort. But I didn't hear you, that one. That's this. Yeah. How do you prep for that? Do you tell your crew, well, shooting about 90 minutes, 95, Bruno has to scream. It's, it's the kind of thing that is probably, I mean, easily dismissed as an urban legend, but yeah. apparently it's, it was the case. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. It's almost like the caricature of the new German cinema. That's, you know, oh, that must that must be how they yeah. did that or this. It's that level of intensity to just get it out before you start to shoot, and then you just have a normal composed performance. Or or the opposite, you have, or, or he's movies, worked yeah. up um, and just holding it back. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I mean, hearing we were talking about Fraulein earlier. I remember hearing with that film that he would get the actor. Uh, to run up and down the stairs and do push-ups before scenes so that he'd be, like, physically overwhelmed. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, I've, I've used tricks like that myself as ways to sort of uh, coax out performances or, or you know, for there to be a physical component to the scene that would put somebody a bit on edge. Um, which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... But, yeah, he, he, just imagining him screaming before performance, it's, it's great. Um... Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I just, that's it's something I really like about, you know, somebody, a unique personality um, being the center of the film and having to do all these things to, to get it to work. Uh, it just seems like a ground, like, I love the idea of just chaos grounding the production, you know, of him, of, of this guy being at the middle of it in all these different ways that you, you'd have to work to, to get it to work. It just seems like that would breathe so much life into the film. Um, Well, that does lead us to the to the obvious final question, which is, or not the obvious final question, but that does lead us to the final question, which is, what of Struzik have you borrowed or stolen or absorbed into your filmmaking DNA? Oh, Can yeah. you think of things, specific stuff that you've you've lifted? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't think I, I do it to the same extent. Um, I mean, obviously, as I said, you know, no one can really. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I. Um, was it both with How Heavy the Sammer and, and Tower, um, you know, uh, through the casting, pro I mean, I didn't write these films for them, for those actors, but I definitely um, rethought them after meeting them. And, you know, my films, I think, are also similarly focused on a character. So, so much of it was, you know, learning about these actors and um, tailoring the film to it, you know? Um, all these, yeah, so even that moment of him screaming before a scene is something uh, I like, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, like, I, I think, like, for instance, with Tower, I think I was going for my own 
Herzogian moment with um, the raccoon. Yeah. Um, that That's I wanted. What I see <laughs> yeah. I wanted, you know, something the way of nature um, being sort of, sort of metaphor for this urban alienation or this idea of trying to capture um, a raccoon. Yeah. Well, it struck me as being about sort of the implacable stupidity. Just the raccoon is not going to change what it's yeah. doing. He's not going to outwit this guy. He's just going to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I never thought... I mean, just when you were talking earlier about the ending of um, Strasek, I don't know if Tower necessarily has an ending either, but it's, you know, him going on a quest or something, this, this need for a pursuit and uh, it being kind of futile um, mm-hmm. and it being, uh, yeah, this, this uh, wild nature staring back at you um but yeah i i I think um again just the way i think of actors um is definitely informed i mean there's a lot of documentary moments in both films but it doesn't matter you know they're just sort of threaded into the film and Mm -hmm. it's that just enriches it constantly um even just yeah bruno's way of talking just you know both erwin and derek have very unique ways of talking and that's something that just you know I wanted to find a way to embrace and thread into the film I mean yeah I never imagined Erwin um, having a a Flemish accent (laughs) Um, but when we found him it was just right you know and um, and then same with with Derek's way of speaking I mean the way that he would sort of go on these um, he would rant kind of reminds me a little bit of Bruno S um Mm -hmm of a character just wanting to feeling cornered at times and wanting to express himself right Um, and with Erwin and Hammer I I had the sense that there's sort of a maybe it's not a joke but it's a motif within the film that whenever he starts speaking he might be hostile or he might not be and there's yeah no way to read it until his third or fourth sentence yeah he just starts from a baseline of something and I couldn't tell if it was hostility or anger or just brusqueness the way he, I mean, the, he speaks to his kids the way he speaks to other people. He doesn't really yeah. modulate. Yeah. That's that's what I, I like. Is It's just this feeling of the way he's talking, of this sort of, um, this, yeah, this, um, it just, you know, we would shoot and shoot, and there would be a, a sort of mark or a tone we'd hit that would kind of level off and would feel like the right way to approach it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something I was interested in, too, this idea of masculinity and this, this sort of... Um, underlying tension or you know feeling like you're shouting at people feel like you're shouting at them but you you don't feel like you are right um that yeah viewing the character also just his his nature or his um rather than his um his arc or his you know his the lesson he's learning or his quest it's more just his feeling like um feeling out his presence or the way he's interacting with the worlds and um so yeah i think that's you know at the core of what i'm looking for with 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 those films i think but yeah in contrast to strasek i think strasek's a much more loving portrait i mean i do love these characters but i think they I don't see that in Strasek. I don't see like, oh, this is what he did wrong or right. what he... I can see that a bit more. Um, maybe it's because I relate to these characters as well. I mean, that it's it's half, you know, falling in love with this this actor and this amazing persona or presence that they're bringing to the film, but then the, it's me also getting out these ideas of um, 
my, my next film is going to be a female protagonist because I feel like with male protagonists, I feel like I have to destroy them or something. <laughs> so I'm, ho- I'm hoping to find a more, you know, something more like Strasek where it's just, you know, that's what I love. I mean, I think that's, a, I think I've noticed this with a lot of my favorite films um, that like with Strasek, like what's the most amazing thing about him, his sort of innocence is also his downfall, you know? Like, what's yeah. amazing... It's just, like, something so cinematic and endlessly expressive as just a, as a relationship to the to understanding the world that it's just such a perfect entry point for a film or, or a thing to, to rotate around. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've definitely taken inspiration from it, but, yeah, there's, it's such a high mark that it's going to, I think, constantly be yeah, a source of inspiration. My thanks to Kazik Rydwanski, whose new film, How Heavy This Hammer, opens in Toronto and Vancouver this Friday, August 12th. It opens in Montreal later this month, with further engagements to be announced. Um, in fact, you should follow Kaz on Twitter for that, at Redvinsky, R-E-D-V-I-N-E-S-K-I, all one word. And you can keep an eye on MDFF Films at MDFF. You can find Strozek on DVD from Anchor Bay Entertainment and on Blu-ray from Shout Factory in that magnificent Herzog collection. Both releases have the audio commentary we mentioned. The film's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and in any case, you must experience it to fully understand what we've been talking about. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign inevitably is, we can't stop the dancing chicken. Thanks for listening. Thank you.